Okay, Gregoire, welcome to Australia and the Sahaja Yoga Meditation Program. This is your first time in Australia. Uh, what are your impressions so far? Well, not not many. I just uh, dropped in and I simply saw Sydney. I think my first impression is that I would like to see much more of this country, which which obviously has, has very much to offer. Mm. Uh, we're on the subject of meditation. Can you tell us what meditation means to you? Well, I think we we need to be practical about about these things. We are all involved in a range of activities. Some of us are extremely uh, involved in in our work or in our family life or in various challenges and I think it's now recognized that we need some sort of mechanism whereby we can balance our own inner well-being with the demands from our external environment and I think meditation is a way to get back to the source of energy that recycle ourselves and, and, and be able to, to face our life in a much uh, more effective manner. Mm. Yeah, good answer. What is it about Sahaja Yoga that is unique and what can it offer people in their everyday life? Well, I think uh, one, one needs to, to distinguish between theory and practice. I think at the theoretical level all the Mythologies, theologies, religions, meditation groups basically state the same. And this is that there is a reality beyond the reality that, that is commonly accepted as the only one. And that spiritual dimension of our life, when reached, is, is a source of... Uh, higher satisfaction and higher accomplishment. Uh, the only trouble is how do you get there? And 99.9% uh, of the teachers will talk about it, but will not make you cross the step whereby you actually experience what it is to find yourself on the spiritual side of the human divide. Because we need to break through into a new dimension. And Sahaja Yoga is the breakthrough. It makes you experience. Hmm. You, you must have met many people through your experiences over the last... How many years have you been meditating, should we say? Well, I'm not spending my whole day meditating, <laughs> but uh, I met uh, my I met my teacher, my, I met my guru in 1975. So my quest dates back from much before that. But I would say I started getting the answers flowing into the system in 1975. Mm. And say so from that time till now, and through your experiences with meeting people and passing on this knowledge. Would you say that Sahaja Yoga appeals to a to wide, to a broad section of the community, or does it appeal to particular sorts of characters or personalities? Well, I cannot 
say we can make a sort of typical profile of who uh, will be capable of becoming a Sahaja Yogi. I think there is a very broad cross-sectoral you know, sampling of every levels of society. But one thing is unfortunately clear is that um, people with uh, very large egos have more difficulties to, to go through what is the narrow door. Uh, you know, Christ spoke about a narrow gate. And to go through the narrow gate, uh, humility is extremely helpful. And humility is an extremely short supply for many of those who are the big decision makers or the leading achievers uh, in their trade, uh, people running on the fast lane and not knowing anymore how to stop, people being very busy, not any longer knowing what they are busy about. For these people, meditation will take a little time to settle in because their system is not really tuned to inner serenity and contemplation. Mm. So, in other words, the meditation is available to, to anyone. We all have this facility or this mechanism inside us that you talk about tuning. You see, I think you have to imagine that everyone has, has the potential, everyone has that sort of sleeping beauty inside which can be called as the kundalini, the potential energy, which is going to trigger that breakthrough into, into this new dimension of existence. However, whether we can access that uh, energy within ourselves, that is the whole question. And uh, there is no profile. My answer to your question is everybody who really desire. Uh, to genuinely experiment spirituality and everybody who is sincere about it uh, has the capacity of making of passing through this through this gate and making this init- going through this uh, process of initiation hmm. do you think that Sahaja Yoga has a historical necessity in this time of confusion or in this present day, the way the world is at this time? Very much so, but the picture has been blurred because if you want the uh, historical necessity of a spiritual breakthrough is unfortunately uh, proven by the amount of charlatans which are today in the spiritual guru shopping center, there is such a strong demand for an access to a new dimension of existence to escape the contradictions and the overburdening stress of modern life that since about 30 years now, we have all kind of products uh, on the market. And an uh, enormous number of uh, fake teachers have been really minting money out of their credulity and, and basic ignorance of, of, of the seekers. And many gurus from India, from Korea, Christian televangelists and what have you, have broadcasted uh, their way uh, into the minds of people and, and have certainly uh, uh, created very large deposit on their Swiss bank accounts. Now. 
you know, in these circumstances, uh, it, it becomes very difficult for a normal person to make the difference between what is genuine and what is fake. And I think it takes a little courage to venture on the spiritual scene today. But as I said, the need for a spiritual breakthrough is something that uh, is quite palpable for at least the, the last 30 years. Mm. Yes, very interesting. Have you met the founder of Sahaja Yoga, Sri Mataji Nirmala Devi, in person? I met Sri Mataji Nirmala Devi Sri Vastava in 1975. I uh, was studying at the Johns Hopkins University and I met the son of industri of an uh, Indian industrialist uh, in, in who was at that time studying in Berkeley. Uh, and I discussed with this boy who was a friend of a friend of mine, and I found him to be extremely smart and, and brilliant. So he talked to me about Sri Mataji. Normally I would have dismissed uh, what he told me because by my research I knew that the key to the transformation was Kundalini awakening. I had found that. But I always, you know, got the same message that Kundalini awakening is extremely difficult to, to achieve and also fairly dangerous to, to, to try. And when this, this friend of mine, he became my friend called, called Rajesh, told me that, that this lady, uh, Sri Mataji Devi, actually had the power to raise Kundalini. You know, it was, if you know what, what, what you are talking about, it was, you know, pretty far out. Mm -hmm. And the only reason I believed him is, is that I trusted him on a personal basis to be a very smart chap, and he would not say anything stupid. I had gone through many gurus, I had uh, reviewed and, and studied a number of, of, of propositions and, and sectarian movements. Of course, I was very familiar with established uh, you know, religions, I had also studied political philosophy. So, on a theoretical basis, I, I could sort of see in what direction we had to go. Um, so when Rajesh told me about this exceptional personality who was at the same time the wife of uh, United Nations Under Secretary General who was leading uh, the maritime organization of the United Nations, I, I sort of, uh, you know, I hitchhiked from, from California to, 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 well, I believe Chicago, took a plane from Chicago to Philadelphia and flew from Philadelphia to London, and then I picked the phone and and uh, I called Sri Mataji, and she said, drop by, and, and that's the way I met her. Wow, fantastic. Yeah. What, is, what is it about Sri Mataji that convinces you that she's unique amongst the spiritual personalities making claims upon us? Well, <laughs> the answer is already containing your question, because uh, you say that she's unique, but she definitely is. Uh, there is an essential goodness in her, which is overwhelming. Uh, she's completely genuine. Uh, she's extraordinarily powerful in spiritual terms. She has benevolence, patience, affection, I have seen her, you know, sitting nine hours in a chair to sort of take care and cure of the concern of, you know, the poorest villagers that you could possibly meet in India. Now, I know from the other gurus that I have met, including gurus from India, 
they can also be very considerate, but they are very selective in their consideration. They'll be considerate for lawyers, for rich people, for people connected in societies from where they expect influence, access, relationship, and money. And I could really see that Sri Mataji couldn't care less about that. The people that she really taught first were completely insignificant people from the point of view of the world. And she was really doing it out of genuine compassion. So, I mean, that sort of easy love, that, that sort of, of natural love uh, that she is exuding, uh, a tremendous sense of humor, uh, made her the simply thoroughly magnetic personality. And I was fascinated by, by, by that, that charisma that she has. And of course, uh, last but by no means least, uh, she actually uh, demonstrated her ability, her amazing ability to, to raise the Kundalini. That was a fact, and that was an experience. Mm. Very interesting. On the subject of young people, what does Sahaj Yoga offer the youth of our world? Can you repeat that? What? Yes. And just on the subject of, of young people who are finding their way in the world, who perhaps feel unfulfilled and feel that life is repetitive, what can Sahaja Yoga offer these people? Yeah. Well, you see, whether you... You know, whether you go shopping for a new car, whether you make love to your mistress, whether you read a book or whether you go for a walk, whether you try to become a CEO in a multinational corporation, what you are basically trying to seek is your satisfaction. Even the guy who commits suicide in jumping for a bridge does so because he thinks he'll feel better from the other side of this bridge. So that is a simple proposal, is that man is basically seeking its satisfaction. Now, some of us, you know, have had a range of experience uh, into finding satisfaction or looking for satisfaction in what people believe are the circumstances, conditions of life which can deliver satisfaction. Now, for instance, myself, you know, I'm coming from a family who... who who, you know, which in its own context was, you know, fairly sort of, you know, on top of, 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 the, of the social pyramid. So I knew what social status was without having had to work for it. And I knew, of course, that that doesn't deliver satisfaction because, you know, a bunch of these people in the elite society are very unhappy and are making a mess of their lives. I have met extremely rich people in my life. I was close friend with a number of them, and the same goes. So to me, it's clear that money <laughs> delivers satisfaction only when you don't have it, and that's the assumption. When you really have it, uh, it is quite clear by the life of so many rich people that they haven't, they haven't you know, hit, uh, they haven't hit the, the, the solution to, to how to enjoy life and so on and so forth. So you reach the conclusion, which is an age-old conclusion provided by all the ancient wisdoms and secret books and so on, that satisfaction is not depending on external possessions or objects of, of, of uh, senses, as, as was said, but out of a state 
out of state of being. And, and so understanding that, you look then for a state of being rather than opportunities of being happy. And I think that once you've understood that, you're on the spiritual you know, discovery channel. You are trying to find yourself. Mm. Mm. Very important. Do you think the issues facing young people in Australia are the same as those facing people in, in Europe, in, in the place you come from? Well, you see, if I think uh, young people are very uncritical. Uh, they have spent too much time watching useless television. They have lost a lot of the cultural and analytical background which allows them to see in what manner they are manipulated by society, by the ruling powers, by those who fabricate information. And so it is fairly difficult for them to, to extract themselves from this you know, ruling cocoon of illusion which throw them into the consumption society. The system needs to produce good and the system is going to tell you that you are going to get your satisfaction out of consuming stuff, consuming goods, consuming relationships, consuming, uh, you know, opportunities for, 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 for enjoyment which are outside yourself. So I think for them it's, it's hard to, 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 to really pierce through this fog of, of misconceptions and, and um, there is a very shallow and superficial uh, one-dimensional thought today which, which is so uh, prevailing that without some sort of searching it's difficult to reach the right conclusions. Having said that, I think that if a young person can see clearly that what it looks for is to really achieve satisfaction. As the Rolling Stone was saying, I can't get no satisfaction. As long as you know that you can get it, it's good. You know, what is what is what is bad is when you compromise with your standards and you pretend to be happy when actually you aren't. And many people do this sort of compromise. As long as you do, you know that you you haven't get it yet, you know you you are in a good shape. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Many young people today are seeking an intensity of experience, which leads them to experiment with with drugs. What is your answer to young people who are about to make the decision to experiment with such things? Well, you see, I have taken drugs, and so it's 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 quite simple. When you when you take drugs, you go into altered state of, states of consciousness. And some drugs access the areas of your brain which uh, release the chemicals which give you a sensation of freedom, of elation, or of pleasure, or even some bliss. So it means that basically we have the, let's say, chemical mechanism to know those states somewhere in our brain. Now, what I propose to them is instead of going there and stealing it, and then you have to pay a price for stealing it because you are not taking the authorized road. Why don't you try to take the high road which leads to it in all authority so that it is yours and yours to stay without having then to pay the price of a bad trip because getting those accesses through chemistry 
is going to be destructive for your nervous system. You're going to burn your brain cells and you're going to burn your system. But there is a way to access that limbic area of the brain, which is the seat of all those sort of exquisite and ecstatic and blissful sensations. There is a way which is legitimate to access that realm of experience. And that way is the inner channel, the Sushumna Nadi, which is opened by the rising Kundalini. So, you know, I am telling all those who seek higher levels of being, pleasure or experiences, all those who seek intensity, I'm telling them if you really are consequent about it, take, take the right road. And don't don't take the roads, which is just going to give you a glimpse of the thing, but 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 you will lose it, and you will lose it in a very bad way because you will have to pay through the destruction of some of your neural system. Right. So I think that really drugs is not a lethal experience if you have the intelligence to get out of it. In the same way that if you put your foot on the step of a staircase. As long as you climb the staircase, that step is not a bad thing. So for some people, drugs can be only a step to go forward. The problem is that drug is addictive and many people get glued to that step and that is very, very uh, lethal. So I would, I would definitely advise not to take drugs as a way to experiment higher state of consciousness. There is another way. Mm. Could it be compared to opening the pages of the same book each time you have the experience? I'm not sure I understand what you mean. <laughs> Could you compare that experience of that you achieve through the drug intoxication as opening the same pages of the same book each time and not really taking you to a further place? Well... If you want to stay with this ana ana analogy, <laughs> is that you you read each time the the same page, and each time you read it, there is one one line less, you see, yeah. because you actually impoverish yourself. So the and the sensations decrease. You need to take more drugs to maintain that, and you basically in the process destroy your system. Your system is important because your inner psychosomatic system is the mechanism you need to go through with the real experience. Mm -hmm. Within yourself, you have a complex of energy centers, which in Sanskrit are called chakra. You have three main channels, which in Sanskrit are called nadi. All this is a sort of um, instrument, a tantra. You have, you, have, you have in you a mechanism which will allow you to go into a higher intensity of being provided that you know how to access that mechanism. And this is what Sahaja Yoga is about. It's access to that inner mechanism in all legitimacy with the blessings of God. And, 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 and that will allow you to eat the fruits of good and evil without being punished. Mm. Yes, very interesting. Gregor, can I ask you about your work with the UN? Well, my, yes. only as far as to say, um, how do you think spirituality has a role to play in dealing with the problems of the world? Well, I, first of all, I think the United Nations are a very, very 
lofty, a very noble organization. I think uh, it, it was a great step forward after World War II to create the United Nations because it's an expression of human community and solidarity. And if we say we are a global village, then the elders of the village should get together. Not only the elders of the, of the village, but the folks of the village. This being said, the UN do not function properly, mostly because states don't want it to function properly. And states don't want it to function properly because they are controlled by, by, by powers which are interested in other things than international solidarity. I think that this is a sad analysis that, that many people have done and are doing. And so let us not talk about the, eff the effectiveness or, or lack of uh, efficiency of, of the United Nations because there would be much to, to dwell on the subject. But uh, yes, working with the UN, I've seen much of the world, I must say, and uh, that has uh, led me to believe that uh, all the races, all the cultures of this planet have, have a lot to offer. That led me to believe that the Western model is not going to be the model which will have a chance of survival into a more civil form of world society uh, because uh, it brings with itself too many germs of corruptions, mostly moral corruption, which destroy the family cell, which destroy the trust in human relationship through all forms of sexual promiscuity. And uh, while definitely, you know, sexuality is a healthy and a good thing, it needs to be kept in some sort of, of, of framework or boundaries. If the stability of the family is to be maintained. And in this respect, I find that non-Western form of cultures uh, are more promising for the future social stability of the world. So I think we need, we who are the white guys, we need to, you know, learn a little humility, look at societies around the world and see in those societies, be, be it, you know, Egypt, Turkey, Brazil or wherever, uh, let, let us see uh, what level of uh, social experiments, what level of uh, social patterns are there. And uh, let us be ready to learn from, from, from other culture. Uh, I feel this is very important that we cannot anymore impose our model uh, under the pretext of globalization. I think we have influenced the world from the time of Vasco da Gama in the 15th century up to the end of the 20th century. Now it's time to develop a truly global form of civilization in which spirituality will be the dominant paradigm. And for this, we need to learn from other civilizations. Mm. Yes, quite. I don't know, that final question. What? Could you describe, perhaps give us some idea of your connection to God? How do you, you feel is your connection to the divine? What form does it take or what feeling does it give you? Well, you see, if you look into the history of mankind in, in all the great literature, in all you know, the great work of arts, I mean, walk, walk in the Uffizi, the Museum of Florence, or, you know, or look at at, you know, temples in India, at cathedrals in Chartres, uh, you know, look at prehistorical designs on the caves uh, of our ancestors, and, and 
you the, the sense is that man has always been fascinated with its relationship to whatever it is that we call God. Now, I think in a very practical but in a very essential way, uh, Sri Mataji manifests through Sahaja Yoga and through the social sort of dimension of Sahaja Yoga that really access to that reality that we call God is through something that human beings call love. And uh, love is is some some word which has been, you know, very, very much used and misused. But in a spiritual sense, love is 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 the energy which is which is at the core of of you know the creation's ecosystems. It's the energy we keep the living process together. It's the energy which gives and which receives and at our level um, human beings we can experience love in a much deeper way than a leaf of a tree. A leaf of a tree experiences God by turning itself towards the sun. That's its way of loving. We have more possibilities. Now if we mess up our possibilities to, to enjoy the multiplicity of the aspects of love simply because in a neo-Freudian fraud we identify love with sex only, then, then of course, our capacity is to understand the colossal magnitude of, of spiritual love. Uh, that capacity is, is, is vastly reduced. So I would say that, you know, experiencing God is, is experiencing love in so many respects. Can be in, it can be you know in it can be in, in shaking hand with with you know with a grocery store owner to whom you, you you bought a piece of bread you know if if there is love in this shake hand you experience something of that reality which is beyond the create which is beyond the origin of the creation and I think that uh, once that the Kundalini is a reason. Uh, energy flow which come into human beings really activated potentiality to both feel and receive love because Kundalini, Kundalini crosses the Sahasrara which is the seventh chakra through its center and the center of the Sahasrara is the heart chakra and the heart chakra is the organ by which we can uh, feel love. Uh, so in a nutshell I think that the relationship with, with, with God is, is a relationship with love. And uh, in the same way that we can love a little, we can love a lot. If we can love God, that's where we will experience the maximum magnitude and intensity of that feeling. Mm. Yes, well put. Well, thank you for all your interesting insights into the world and into your spiritual journey. Okay. <laughs> Many greetings from Australia.